G'day, I'm Bruce Newton. And I'm Toby Hagen. Welcome to The Motor Show, where we take a look at all things motoring. And this week, we have a huge one and plenty happening in the world of cars. First up is news. And Bruce, this week, Mazda gave us a bit of a hint, a sneak peek at the upcoming three small car. Now, this is a big one for the brand. It sure is, Toby. This is their biggest selling car here and globally. And what we're looking at now, or what we're getting, as you said, a sneak peek of, as is the usual motor uh, vehicle um, tradition these days with PR and marketing. They just do that slow up uh, strip tease. <laughs> It gets a bit frustrating, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, you know, it's like you get eight launches of the car before you actually get behind the wheel and drive it. But, I mean, that's the way it is these days. So this is the fourth generation of the Mazda 3. It's being teased ahead of its Los Angeles show unveil, and we should see it here in Australia in the first half of 2019. A hugely important car, not only because of its sales potential, but because also it showcases a bunch of of new technology from Mazda from the platform up, including the new SkyActiveX spark-controlled compression ignition petrol engine. That's a mouthful. It is. And look, sounds obviously fairly high-techy, but similar in some ways to diesel, isn't it, in terms of no spark plugs, just um, uh, compressing the the fuel-air mixture to try and make it blow up. So, yeah, the idea is low-end torque like a diesel, high-end refinement like a petrol engine, and hopefully excellent fuel consumption which is obviously the thing we're all after these days yeah for for me one of the things i think the average punter doesn't figure out is that the amount of effort and development work going into regular internal combustion engines these days is still enormous like yes there's a lot of work going on in the uh, in the electric space but car companies are pouring hundreds of millions if not billions into this sort of tech and this is the latest example of that oh when you think about it uh, petrol engines sorry internal combustion engines are going to be around for a long time they might be they might have electric assistance but they're still going to be with us i think it was only last week we mentioned that bmw estimates 85 percent of their models are still going to have internal combustion engines come 2030 so no petrol's not going away anyway anytime soon but back to the master 3 just for a second it, obviously we're only getting a very small view of what the what the car is going to look like it was a 15 second video they showed the side view of the rear around the c pillar and, and the tail lights and a sweep along the doors but if you want to get if anyone out there wants to have a, a bit of an idea of what they, they can expect next year it was shown by the kai kai concept that was at the Tokyo show in 2017. And that was certainly a good-looking car. Mm. No, Mazda is on its game when it comes to styling, and it's just as well for them that they are because, really, they're a small car company on the global scale, which we probably don't appreciate here in Australia because they are so successful. For them, basically, everything they do has to be successful. Otherwise, it puts the company in peril. Another small or relatively small car company, similar lines, is Jaguar Land Rover. I got to chat to the boss this week, Dr. Ralph Spate, um, who was in Australia for the opening of the Invictus Games. And um, look, he had some really interesting stuff to say, in some ways similar to what Mazda's talking about in terms of uh, the importance of, I guess, traditional cars. He touched on um, on SUV sales and passenger car sales. I specifically asked him about sedans and said, you know, what's going on with sedans? Is the sedan dead moving forward? And he he really went on about it for quite some time and said, look, I don't think it is, um, partly because he said if you, he referenced 2008, the, the fuel price spike or the, the uh, oil price spike we had back then, and he said it actually caused SUV sales to dip. Mm. And all of a sudden, your traditional passenger cars came back up. So he's sort of thinking that the current fuel price rises that we're seeing 
could actually mimic that a little bit. Now, probably not quite as much because I guess we are so heavily reliant these days on uh, on SUVs, but um, there's still hope there yet for, for those uh, regular cars. Yeah, and certainly at the moment in Australia, the situ- it's going to be really interesting to watch what the situation, how the situation evolves in Australia. We've got $1.60 plus petrol now um, and forecast to keep going up. SUVs, it, they've crossed over to become the most popular segment, nearly 43% of the new vehicle sales market, up 4% year on year. Passenger cars are... 33% down nearly 5% this year. So if we see an impact, you know, at the moment it's not showing up yet, but, you know, we've got, uh, obviously we'll, we'll have to keep watching the market to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And look, another big SUV reveal this week was the BMW X7, the biggest ever X car from BMW. And it's a pretty distinctive style, Bruce. The, <laughs> the grill in particular stands out. The largest <laughs> edif- set ever set of kidney grills to grace a BMW. They are <laughs> massive, aren't they? I mean, look like they could, I don't know, they could slice through, you look like they could slice through a block of cheese with those things. They're bloody amazing. <laughs> <laughs> they are enormous. Look, partly partly required in terms of getting extra cooling under the bonnet. It is, it is a big vehicle. Certainly, as I said, the biggest one they've ever done in terms of X cars. I was lucky enough to get to sit inside it um, over in a studio over in Munich. And it's uh, one of the things that stunned me with it is not only the, obviously the space in the first two rows, it's a standard seven-seat vehicle. So the third row of seats is actually quite large in terms of, uh, in terms of being able to accommodate adults and so on. Um, I also spoke to the product manager for this car, uh, and she was saying that, um, you know, pricing-wise, it's going to be significantly under a 7 Series, probably 50 thousand dollars less than a 7 Series in Australia. On top of that, you get ex- two extra seats, you get four-wheel drive, mm. um, you get more rear seat headroom, just purely because of the shape of the, uh, the roof on the thing, um, and it's cheaper, and you get more features. So, for me, I just can't see how 7 Series is going to survive, at least with the numbers it's doing. I mean... Limousine sales have been coming off, but for th- this has got to be another nail in the coffin of the limousine, at least in some markets. So $50,000 under a seven, where does that place it, Tobes? Probably about one hundred and fifty grand. Key rivals, um, Mercedes-Benz GLS, Range Rover, um, to some extent Audi Q7. So it's, um, it's certainly uh, up against the larger vehicles in that, uh, in that SUV category. So it's got some pretty full-on competition, particularly from Range Rover. That one is mm. um, obviously the king of that segment. So um, it's got a got, got a lot of work ahead of it, but um, I've got to say, in the metal, it certainly it looks the business as long as you don't have to look at the grill. <laughs> so if if what I'm reading right is right, uh, we're going to get a diesel only range starting up, and and uh, including a quad turbo diesel badge, the 50D. Does, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so they've had triple turbo diesels before. Now the um, the 50D, as you say, with a quad turbo setup. And a petrol V8 later on. They're also doing a smaller petrol six-cylinder, which we're not getting mm. for Australia. Um, there's been a lot of chat online about uh, about a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid version. But they, the people I spoke to said, no, we're not interested in it. It doesn't make sense. The basic reasoning they put forward is the sheer size of the car means you'd need a fair few batteries to, um, to, to make it viable to get 40 or 50 k's of electric-only range. Mm. That would take out the third row of seats and also make it a fairly heavy car. So for the target markets, obviously key target markets being, being America, to a lesser extent China, obviously the Middle East, and places like Australia, um, not all big on, um, on plug-in hybrid vehicles. So for the moment, they're saying no plans for a plug-in. Mm, no, fair enough. And I guess at that end of the market, you've got that sort of money to spend. Fuel economy is not your priority. Um, and nor would it be for um, Alpine buyers, which just happens to be 
the thing Australia really desperately needs, yet another car brand. <laughs> I'll detect some sarcasm there, Bruce. <laughs> Being some... slightly facetious, mate. <laughs> yeah, look, another brand, as you say, albeit a fairly low-volume mm. brand. They're, um, they're talking of very, very small numbers for Alpine. Uh, but, look, straight up against something like a Porsche Cayman, it's a very distinctive-looking vehicle, obviously going off the, um, uh, the, the Alpines from decades ago and, and keeping that uh, iconic-looking styling. But... Power to weight's very important for it. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I'm not sure – well, I'm not sure people will be queuing up to trade their Porsches in, but it adds a new dimension to that market. It does. I mean, it's a featherweight, like you say. It's just over a tonne. It's got a, the same 1.8-litre, 200-kilowatt turbocharged engine as the Megane RS hot hatch, but mid-mounted and driving the rear wheels, not to 100 kilometres out in just 4.5 seconds. So there's performance there. But like you say, very limited uh, volumes and obviously a, a niche market price beyond $100,000 for the launch edition. The first 30 into the country have sold out. There's 30 more coming in December. And intriguingly, they're making only a maximum of 100 of these Alpine A110s available per annum. But isn't that partly because of the way it's brought into the country? It doesn't have full um, full homologation certification? Well, my understanding is one of the issues with it is it's got no side airbags. And there is actually a voluntary FCAI agreement that stipulates if you bring a car in with no side airbags, you can't sell more than 100. Now, there's, not, there's nothing legislative about that. It's a, and I should add here that the FCAI is the umbrella organisation of all the various car brands that sell in Australia. But this is a voluntary deal, as explained by Andrew Moore, who runs Renault, when the car was launched at Moto Classica the other week. Indeed. Now, another brand that um, has been selling in much smaller volumes. I was going to say, you're talking about limited volumes, yes. <laughs> we get on to Holden, oh, which... Oh, um, dear. The, the, the brand, look, they, they had their record low sales in July, just under 4,000 cars. Um, they've been hanging around at less than 5% market share for most of this year. So it's a, a pretty dire situation for them. And now, um, this week at the Holden Arcadia launch, I had a chat to Dave Butner, the, the relatively new boss of Holden in Australia, the former um, boss of Toyota in Australia. And he said that he's actually told them to turn the, uh, or to stop the boats, to stop the factories from producing cars, most of their models, including Commodore, including Equinox, because they simply have to clear stock. They've got um, too many cars sitting around at the moment. And they've got to get rid of them. So it's a, um, you know, it's a, a, a big issue for Holden at this stage. Well, obviously, there's a lot of cars sitting on grass out there somewhere. And, and, and the positive thing about this is at least Dave Butner's taking action, as he promised he would after his spending an initial period of review. We both know he's, he's done a lot of trips around the country, talked to a lot of dealers, talked to a lot of people. And, and clearly, he's, he's, uh, he's not going to waste any time taking action. But he can't, of course. I mean, this is, this is potentially a a disastrous situation for them. He said he's been quoted as saying no fire sales, even though they've got excess stock, but I don't know how they can avoid that. And when you actually go online and look at prices, the cars are being discounted. There's Commodores out there for substantial discounts. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that is obviously the way to do it is to put incentives in there, typically financial incentives. That said, I'm a hundred percent for it. They need to get their supply and demand under control for the last well, probably two years, they've just been pumping cars into the country trying to keep the volumes up, and it's just not working. It's affecting resale. It's, it's annoying the dealers. There's, there's major issues there. So they really need to get it under control. So I'm 100% for it in terms of trying to revive the brand and, um, and put them on, a, I guess, a viable long-term course of, of getting back to at least some sort of decent sales. One thing about this, Toby, that, that strikes me is that this means that the people at Holden who were – who were forecasting sales for the new Commodore um, figures that you and I and other 
members of the motoring media who are being told these figures were like quite shocked by it at, at the ambition of them mean that these that these Holden people really did believe they were going to sell that many cars. Uh, to be honest, I thought they were just giving us that it was smoke. They were just telling us figures to fob us off that they really had a, a real target in mind much lower than what they were talking about. No, well, I think I think with some cars, I think with Equinox, that's probably shocked them a little bit. I mean, that's selling, um, you know, around a sixth to a t- to an eighth of what the uh, the key rivals in that mid-sized SUV segment are selling at. So they clearly don't want that. But um, yeah, look, I think finally realism setting in. They're, they're understanding, and they actually said that the marketing director Krishna Aquilina got up and said, "We are now a challenger brand." He said, "You know, being from the dominant brand twenty years ago to." trying to play catch up and you know kia for example outsold holden in september this year so it's a um uh, it's certainly a situation they've got to try and correct well when you look at model for model across the range of the two brands it's not a surprise and speaking of models tobes um you mentioned the holden acadia a minute ago time to get on and talk about the drives we've both been in recently and i'd say that holden acadia is by far the most significant recent launch is this the car that 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 turns Holden's fortunes around. Look, it is certainly an important car. And, and to the main reason being is you, you look at where Holden has always, since 1948, since that first car, what they've always focused on is appealing to families. And they've done it so well over the decades. Over the last 10 years, they haven't done it nearly as well. This car is absolutely going to that family heartland. It is a seven-seat, a large seven-seat SUV. It goes up against things <coughs> like Santa Fe, um, Toyota Kluger, Mazda CX-9, Kia Sorento, Nissan Pathfinder, all those sorts of vehicles that you see in so many driveways around the country. So an extremely important vehicle for Holden. Um, I got to drive it, as you said, at the launch. The thing I walked away thinking from that launch, first of all, was value. And we've seen so many Holdens in recent years, Astra and Equinox, for example, come out and they've been, um, I think, undercooked. They've been, they haven't had the features in them. And all the price has been too high. And this one, you cannot argue that. The price starts at 43 grand drive away. And for that, you get a heap of gear. You get everything from smart key entry to almost all the safety systems. Um, the top of the range one, the LTZV, gets a more advanced auto emergency braking system. But you still get AEB in the base cars. Mm. Um, you get alloy wheels. You get, um, you get a whole bunch of, of really good equipment. Apple CarPlay, decent size interior screen, digital radio. So they haven't skimped on it at all. And on top of that, the top of the range one, internally, they actually started referring to it as Caprice. So it's their sort of, you think of it these days, it is their most luxurious model. Mm. It's the car that could potentially appeal to limousine operators. Um, it was certainly, uh, certainly from a lux- luxury point of view, it's got more luxury than uh, just about any other Holden on the market. So it's a, um, it's a big step up. And for me, I thought um, it was absolutely a return to form for Holden. Oh, that's fantastic news. Now, the only thing, and I look at it, the concern I have is that, a single drivetrain, big, naturally aspirated V6 engine, nine-speed auto, admittedly, which is going to help. But still, the fuel consumption side of the that picture is, is going to be a challenge, I would have thought. And, and really, the only brand that sells a big capacity V6 petrol um, crossover like this, SUV like this, in any big numbers is is Toyota with the Kluger. They sell a 1,000 of them a month. And I, I think yeah. Toyota could do that with their incredible reputation is Acadia going to be able to get the cut through with that single drivetrain um well look as you say though when the two biggest sellers in the class cx9 and um and kluger are both petrol only mm. and um they're not the most frugal things in the world on paper the uh the mazda is certainly more fuel efficient than the holden but in the real world they're saying that they think they the figures will actually hold up pretty well 
the drivetrain was a big surprise for me. I, I went in thinking, well, this is going to be a bit underwhelming. It's effectively the Commodore drivetrain, 3.6 litre V6, 231 kilowatts. And you sort of think, oh, okay, it'll be all right. But hooked up to the nine-speed automatic, that auto is a really slick shifting. It's a, it's a nice, sweet, sweet drivetrain for it. Yep. So I thought it did a pretty good job. Um, it, it's a little bit peaky. Well, it is a fair bit peaky. You've got a peak torque, for example, is produced at 5,000 revs. So you do have to rev it if you want to get the best out of it. But there's still enough meat down low in that rev range to get you around town quite nicely. When it comes to overtaking, you're certainly going to do it pretty smartly in an Arcadia. Um, the point about fuel, yeah, I think it's not ideal by any stretch, but I don't think it's necessarily out of step with where that market is. The thing that could hurt it is if we see fuel prices rise much more beyond where they are today, in which case I think you'll see people start to divert over to Hyundai Santa Fe's and Kia Sorento's, both of which come with a diesel option. Mm. So from the from the big fella down to a, to a much smaller SUV option, the, the Skoda, well, I'm not even sure how to pronounce this, to be honest. Is it Karok, <laughs> the K-Rock? The car rock. Anyway, it's it's a it's it's the new compact SUV from VW's Czech subsidiary. It replaces the appealing but oddball Yeti, um, and it's it's very much a mainstream sort of offering. Under four point four meters long, yet it has a four hundred and seventy nine liter boot, so it's sized quite cleverly. So it can, if you're shopping for say a Mazda CX three or CX five, you might look at Karoke either way. Uh, so it, yeah, from that, so it, it's quite a, a clever little little offering. It's a single spec, turbo petrol, front wheel drive, five seats. Starts at twenty nine nine ninety plus on road cost for the manual, or thirty two four ninety for the seven speed dual clutch auto, which obviously most people will opt, opt for. And it comes with a five year warranty, cap price servicing at about three hundred and sixty dollars annually. So Skoda's really getting you know its mojo on when it comes to uh, the offering to the customer beyond simply a piece of shiny metal in the showroom. There's lots of standard equipment, low-speed AEB, Apple CarPlay, and later on there's going to be a, a digital instrument, instrument display like Audi's clever virtual cockpit. It's spacious. It's got lots of practical touches, storage bins, rear seats that can be completely removed. All that sort of stuff's a Skoda signature. They really do, do think about things like that. And what's a drive like? Well, will it shock you if I tell you it drives a lot like a Volkswagen? Uh, it's got that. It's got that. It, it, they do such a good job of tuning these vehicles. Having said that, two issues that probably I noticed. One is that classic dual clutch tip-in throttle hesitation that they still can't tune out of that type of transmission. And this car is set up with a reasonably firm ride, but that also delivers neat and tidy handling. I think for Skoda, as well, you call Holden a Challenger brand. Skoda is a classic Challenger brand. They're trying to get people to pay attention to them. I think vehicles like this really do help them. Yeah, that single model range is an interesting one in that class, given that most of its rivals, those mid-sized rivals, um, are really far. You know, you get a, a vast range of options that can go well into sort of fifty thousand dollars. So, to have a single model there is is a different way of doing things. It sure is. I guess is they can expand the range if, if if they if they get the hits, but also simplicity is easier to look after in terms of warranty and parts and all those sort of things down the line as well, and it, and that helps the bottom line too. So. I think from their point of view, it reflects across their range. I don't think any of their model lineups are too complex. So it seems to be a bit of a theme with Skoda in Australia. Yeah. One car that I've been driving recently, uh, which is obviously a lot more complex in terms of the model range, is the <laughs> Ford Everest. Yes, yes. <laughs> Plenty of models in that one. And they've done a facelift that um, from the outside, it's not vastly different in terms of the design. 
but uh, underneath the bonnet, you can now you still can get that 3.2 litre five cylinder turbo diesel. It's been around for a long time in Ranger and obviously BT50 Mazda, but um, now you can also option a two litre um, four cylinder twin turbo diesel for that car. So quite an interesting engine in terms of it's obviously a much smaller capacity, but has more power, another 10 kilowatts of power, 147 to 157 kilowatts of power. Yep. And also um, also torque jumps from 470 newton meters up to 500 newton meters. And the big thing, it goes from a six-speed automatic with a 3.2 up to a 10-speed automatic wow. with the two liters. So yeah, massive difference there. And it's the transmission, if anything, that I think makes the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a, um, you're certainly much more likely to be in the sweet spot of the engine. Um, I drove the very base model that you could get with the two liter engine. So it was the Trend, which is sort of the one of the mid-spec ones, um, which you can then option with that two liter engine. Uh, and it was in rear-wheel drive. So it's the, whereas the four-wheel drive ones, um, obviously, I guess this car was designed more for four-wheel drive, for, for off-roading. But they've done this two-wheel drive version. Bruce, I've got to be honest, I don't really get it in terms of going for a two-wheel drive version of a car like this. No, because I agree. It's a separate chassis. It is clearly designed for off-roading. And you get those on-road compromises, things like pretty average steering. It's a little bit floppy through corners you don't have the ability to go bush if you want to. So um, so I struggle with that a little bit. So I'd definitely be optioning the four-wheel drive. But the real target market for this car is people who tow. It is a, um, it gets the same tow capacity, three-ton tow capacity of the other Everests. So you just don't have the four-wheel drive system to go with it. So I guess when you look at it that way and you say, well, obviously there's a lot of grey nomads hitting the road and they don't necessarily want to venture beyond the, the caravan park, for them, it might actually be a reasonable bit of gear. Now, one thing with the the five cylinder diesel, uh, we've always commented on things like gruffness, and it goes pretty good, but it, but gruff and a bit bit agricultural. D- does this two liter diesel feel behave differently? Massively, yeah. So the the um, three point two, as you said, it's a bit like a sailor sort of sculling drinks. It's, um, <laughs> it's sort of got this this pretty distinctive noise to it. And this one, absolutely, the refinement levels are up. It's also got the noise cancelling inside. So you've got microphones inside and noise cancelling to help quell a bit of the engine noise as well and, and road noise, uh, but definitely more refined. It's funny, though. There's still a few of the characteristics, I think, in, uh, of the 3.2. It must be something in the induction or something. You still get a tiny bit of that, but mm. nothing like the levels of what you did. So refinement is a big step up in that car. Yeah. Uh, one of my favourites, the Everest, and I, I think it might, I suspect... From uh, previous experience, I think they've done a. We should point out it's a local development job, isn't it? The T6 platform that it's based on. That's all local work. Yeah, absolutely. And and you've got to say they they've really hit their mark there. They they understand what the Australian market wants, and at the same time, they're not compromising the car to send it elsewhere in the world. So, um, a great job in terms of overall. But as I said, for me, it'd be a four wheel drive one. Yeah. Now, uh, a vehicle which also has a, has a soft spot with in Australia. I have a soft spots for, I should say, is the Megane RS and the new generation uh, RS 280s just being launched in Australia. It, it was the cool hot hatch for a long time, developed by Renault Sport, Renault's hot tuners for road and track. Uh, it just it really captured the imagination of Aussie sports car or, or sports driving lovers. I mean, so much so that that the R, it, Australia became the biggest market for the RS behind France and Germany, which says a lot. But times are getting tougher and vehicles like the Ford Focus RS, the Honda Civic Type R and the Hyundai i30N are now in the market. And that meant that the new generation vehicle was going to face a pretty tough test, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And those cars you mentioned, every one of those 
I could ha- I'd happily park any one of those in the driveway for different reasons. But um, there's some terrific hot hatches on the market at the moment. But um, uh, look, one thing, obviously, the engine capacity has gone down in this car. Performance, what's it like, Bruce? Oh, look, it, it goes hard. But I've got to say, you know, it, this is a vehicle that, that, that was a segment leader, but now sits within the segment and doesn't lead the way. It, it just doesn't redefine the class like its predecessors did. It's fast, it's involving, it's enjoyable. But the Type R is better to drive, and the i30N is cheaper and just about as good. In fact, I've got to say that that i30N i30N is just ridiculously good value for what it delivers. There's a lot of great tech thrown at the RS. It's it's got um, it's got this per, the Perfo Hub front end, which helps reduce torque steer. It's got rear wheel steering, not rear wheel drive, rear wheel steering. Um, it, there's a couple other noticeable points. It's the first five door Megane. It's RS. It's the first one available with an automatic transmission and it's the only hot hatch in its class which offers a choice of trannies um but it's it, like it's going all sensible bruce <laughs> sensible yeah so maybe the idea is hang on and wait for the Megane rs trophy it'll have more power a stiffer chassis and of course you have to pay more for it, and it should be here before the end of the year so um yeah still more to come from Megane rs and uh and given past reputation and this one is a good vehicle don't get me wrong but more coming, so maybe hang on for that. Sounds good. Well, we will be driving, obviously, more cars in the coming weeks. Um, but for this week, that is it for another week of the Motor Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, give us five stars. Yep. See you next week. Sounds good.